Bible. It's exciting to be with you again this morning. Is this, is this mic on? Okay. All right. Uh, you know, this is a really exciting time in the life of our church. If you look over there to the east, you see that we have got a door opening. Uh, hopefully this week or maybe in the next week or so we will have a door actually in there. Uh, but uh, renovation continues, so there's physical changes going on in the building. There are spiritual changes happening in many of you. We've got people who are coming to faith in Christ. We've got new members uh, joining all the time. And, you know, as I thought about that this week, just reminded again that everything that we have as a church comes to us by grace. Amen? Um, The reality of it is, even though you have hard-working, faithful leaders who try to lead you well, uh, and even though many of you are uh, likewise hard-working, pious, godly, faithful people, the reality of it is is that the gap between holiness and our current lives day-to-day is often wider than we would like. And uh, God is incredibly gracious to continue to use us and to have saved us to begin with and to, um, to continue to operate uh, by His Word and through the power of the Spirit in the life of our church. Amen? And I bring all that up because the thing is, is that this sermon that we're going to look at this morning is about grace, and you, you're going to need eyes to see it. Uh, I'll try to clarify at the end uh, how God's grace is revealed, but this is an old familiar story about how Jacob... Uh, lies to his dad and cheats his brother out of his blessing. And uh, we want to look at that in uh, Genesis chapter 27. But remember, as we get started, this sermon is not about this story necessarily, or at least not exclusively about this story. It's about God's grace being revealed in it. So I want to show you that. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 27, verses 1 to 40. And I'm going to read them for us together uh, because, uh, as I was reminded last night, if nothing else happens this morning other than the reading of God's Word as part of my message, something incredible and amazing happened because God communicated truth from Him to us uh, in a printed form that we can read and study and, and benefit from. So, Uh, Let's look at Genesis 27, beginning in verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older brother, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare from them the delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, 
My brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field. The Lord is blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. 
And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. When you grow restless, you will break his yoke from your neck. Now, Isaac is an old man. I'm not sure how old exactly, uh, as there's some compression of time uh, in these accounts, but He's old enough that he can't see well anymore, and he knows he's definitely on life's downhill side. You know, he's come up over the crest of the hill, and he's on the backside. He doesn't know uh, what time he's going to die. Maybe he's sick at this time and thinks he's on his deathbed. He actually lives a number of years after this. But he says, before I die, I want to give the blessing to my firstborn son, to Esau. And it might seem strange to us. Uh, this custom of doing this, but this is a prayer. Isaac is actually a prophet. He's someone who is especially chosen by God, and his prayers have prophetic effect, that this is what is going to happen uh, for his sons. And it's a, it's a way of recognizing, in, a, in, a, in kind of a formal way, these, this is the son to whom God's blessing will come. And even though God has already told Isaac and Rebekah that the older son is going to be servant to the younger son, Esau is Isaac's favorite son, and he wants to impart the blessing to him. Nevertheless, it's going to come to Jacob. And so he comes up with a way of formally recognizing that, and he says, you know, he says, son, I want to give you the blessings of covenant with God. And so go out and hunt yourself a deer or a gazelle. I want venison tonight. And, uh, and so he sends out Esau, the great hunter, to go to the fields and chase a deer and make him some venison. And meanwhile, Rebecca hears what he's planning to do, and she plots to get both uh, God and Isaac to impart the blessing on her favorite boy, Jacob. They don't have a deer, so... Rebecca says, well, I'll cook a couple of goats in the way Isaac likes. Uh, I don't know, maybe there's a sauce or something that goes over this. But she thinks to herself, the old man is old. He's not going to be able to distinguish. His palate's not that fine. I can make it how he likes it. And so Jacob, though, is, is fearful. And he's not fearful that he's going to be cursed by God, but cursed by his father, And he's not fearful of the consequences of what he's doing. He just doesn't want to get caught. And so he says, well, wait a minute. What about the fact that Esau is hairy? You know, you may have noticed I um, have smooth skin. He is covered with hair all over. What are we going to do if the old man wants to touch me as a blind person might do to know that it's really me? Then he'll know that it's me instead of Esau, and then I'll be cursed instead of blessed. And she says, well, you know what? I'll take care of that. Don't worry about it. Just go get the goats. And she slaughters these two goats. She takes the skin from the goats and puts it on the back of his neck here where Esau was hairy. She puts goat hair. She puts goat hair on the back of his hands. And Jacob goes in carrying his stuff into his father to get the blessing. And when he's in there, 
he lies to his father three times. Three times. The first, first one is when Isaac asks him, Who are you, my son? What's he say? I'm Esau, your firstborn. This is a bald-faced lie. He doesn't just lie. He puts a shine on it. And since he's on a roll, the next time, he brings God into it. Remember? Isaac asked him, well, boy, that was fast. What happened? He says, oh, well, the Lord your God gave me success. So it's not enough to lie. Now we've got to lie about God besides. And so Isaac is still suspicious, and he says, well, the voice does not sound like Esau's voice. What's happened? Come over here and let me feel you. He feels his hands, and they're hairy. He says, well, it must be Esau. I just must, the hearing must be going along with the eyesight. And he says, give me the food and the wine, and he blesses him, and then One last time, he's still not sure, and so he says, Come near, and I can smell you. And people have a distinct smell. You know, just like a pillow you've slept on, you know. Maybe your spouse is gone, and you sleep on their pillow when they're not there. Because you miss them, and you want to at least be close to them, right, in some way. And Esau's clothes have a distinct smell. smell like the outdoors and he smells that and he says are you really my son Esau oh yeah I'm I'm your son Esau third lie and so he gives him God's blessing and it's a great blessing he gives him I'll give you the crops and the fields I'll give you dominion over the people of the land and over your brother and I'll even give you at the end the Abrahamic blessing that Blessed will be those who bless you, and cursed will be those who curse you. He says, you'll be the covenant son. You'll be the one through whom the blessing of God is going to come. And this all is given with a traitor's kiss. And about that time, Esau comes back, and he cooks dinner, and he goes in to receive his blessing. Only there's nothing good left. All the possessions, the blessing of God, the prosperity, everything, Isaac's given to him. And Esau is distraught, understandably. And Isaac realizes the truth, and Isaac realizes he's been deceived. And all Isaac has to give at that point are the blessings of a wanderer. You're going to live in a less fertile land. You're going to have a restless spirit. You're going to be a warrior. And you're going to fight for everything you have. And your brother's going to rule over you and dominate you. And his descendants are going to rule over your descendants. But one day, one day, your descendants will throw him off and get free. And here's the funny part about this. Way back before the boys were born, Rebecca and Isaac were both told by God that it was going to be Jacob who was going to receive the blessing. And it was going to be Jacob who was going to be the covenant child before God. And it's not going to be Esau. And so Jacob and Rebekah did not need to go through all this plotting and scheming if they had simply trusted God 
God would have given them freely what they schemed and plotted and broke relationships to get. But nevertheless, God's hand is in this, and he is sovereign over it, and he's going to use these circumstances to give Jacob the blessing that, that God had promised. And at the same time, God is going to use what results from this to purify and bring about holiness in Jacob as well. But what you see immediately after this is a severed relationship and brotherhood between these brothers, which has always been competitive, is now fully broken. It says, verse 41, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while till your brother's fury turns away until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be, be bereft of both of you in one day? Jacob and Rebekah's lying and deceit have about the effect that you would anticipate. The family is destroyed. It's absolutely blown apart and destroyed. Esau starts planning for the day when the old man dies, when I can get my brother alone away from Isaac and strike him dead. And he is consoling himself in his hurt and betrayal with the thought of bringing Jacob's life to an end. And so Rebecca goes to Jacob again, and this time she has another brilliant plan. She says, go off to my brother Laban, off in Haran, and I'll send for you when Esau cools off. But the reality of it is, this is the very last time that Rebekah and Jacob ever speak to one another. Because Rebekah dies before Jacob is able to come back home. And he's away a long time. We're going to start looking at that next time I'm with you. But let's read on here. It says, verse 46 then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women, that is, Esau's wives. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise and go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. 
And then Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the daughters of Nebaioth. Now, here's the situation. Jacob needs to get out of Dodge. But in a patriarchal society, you don't just leave your family. You don't just leave your aged parents in the desert and say, you know, I, I, I got to go. See ya. Uh, particularly when you've just been made head of the family, essentially, through the transmission of the father's blessing. Even if you did get it by deceit and treachery, you still need to stay around. So he's got to come up with a good reason. So Rebecca, being the resourceful lady that she is, decides that now that Jacob is head of the family, he needs to get a wife. But Rebecca does not want him to marry one of these Canaanite women, these Canaanite pagans, like these two Hittite girls that Esau is married to, because they are a source of continual grief in their paganism uh, to Isaac and Rebecca both. And so having put the idea in Isaac's mind, Isaac calls Jacob and sends him off to get a wife from among the God-fearing people of their extended family off in Haran, uh, specifically from uh, Laban, Rebekah's older brother. Now, that's going to be a great story when they get there, uh, how that all comes unwound. But Esau saw, quite naturally, that being married to not one but two Canaanite girls brought him disfavor with his parents. And so he starts to try to pursue their favor. I want to get it maybe... Maybe if I get a different wife or an additional wife, a third wife, they'll be happy with this one and be happy with me and, and I'll be approved and blessed and I'll be the loved one of my parents. Now, isn't that sad? This is the son who's willing to do everything that he can to be approved by his parents, except he's not a God-fearing guy. And so he continues to kind of wind off on a path of his own and he's never really pleasing to God in any of it that he does. And if there's anything that we can see in this whole sordid mess of a story that you see in the Bible, a lot of people when they read this are actually kind of surprised that stories like this are in here. And nowadays, if, if we had a family like this, we would, get, we would, get, we would call them dysfunctional we would have them on Dr. Phil, and there'd be this kind of, there'd be an emotional breakdown on national TV, and, you know, you never loved me, and all this, you know, <laughs> and I even married three women trying to please you, you know, and all this kind of a thing. But here's the deal. God has a much simpler word for all the lying and scheming and competing and deceiving and parental favoritism of this whole mess. It's a real simple word. Three letters, sin, is what he calls it. And the question that should be in your mind as you read stories like this in the Bible is not, isn't it amazing how God uh, chose such wonderfully faithful, amazing people to obey him and worship him? I mean, look at these people and their piety. That's not the question that you have in your mind. The question that ought to be in your mind is this. God is using these people? These are the family of God. These are the people that God has called for the task of redeeming the world. 
These are the people to whom the promises of God have come. This is the most important family on the face of the earth because these are the people through whom Messiah is going to come? Really? Because it is quite literally true that the, that this is indeed the most important family on the face of the earth at this time because it is these people through whom God is working to redeem the world. Remember what I said at the beginning about how this sermon is about God's grace? It is. Because while one level, uh, one level this story is about Jacob and and all of his machinations and his deceitfulness and his living up to his name as the guy who you have to watch your back around, who, who's, if you don't, is going to catch you from behind and snare you. It's also about God's sovereign grace. And I, and I say that precisely because God sovereignly chooses whomever he wants for his purposes including, apparently, a large number of scoundrels, liars, and thieves like Jacob. And it's his sovereign grace because only God, only God, only the real God, the God of the Bible, would choose to use people like that who don't deserve his blessing but instead deserve his judgment. Has Jacob done anything admirable in this series of stories we've looked at up to now? No. And it isn't because he is such a wonderful guy that God chose him. The thing is, a lot of people think that the Bible is a collection of stories of godly, pious people doing godly, pious things and therefore getting blessed and rewarded by God. But what it really is is the account of ungodly, impious people who rebelled against God at every step of the way. And in spite of that, God in his sovereign grace and love choosing to use those kind of people to accomplish his purposes and plans. And to choose them and save them and forgive them, to use them by God, to to use them according to his plan and purpose, to bless them and to transform them by his grace. And God shows his sovereignty in this story. Because despite Isaac's determination, I'm going to give the blessing to the one I like, not the one God said. What happens? God uses even deception and lying to give the blessing to the one that he had chosen, which was Jacob. And in his grace, God chose people who rebelled against him in every conceivable way to save them and to forgive them and to be his people. And they weren't pious people. They weren't faithful people or even particularly nice people. Would you want to be in a family with Jacob as your brother? Not me. Would you want to have Rebecca for a mother? Not me. I'm glad I've got the one I've got instead of this lady. A crafty schemer. Sinful liar. One who deceives her husband on purpose? But here's the thing. The fact that God chooses to use these kind of people magnifies his glory in being able to accomplish great things through people who don't deserve his blessing but his judgment. And in spite of everything that's wrong with the people that God chooses, God nevertheless sanctifies and purifies them 
so that one day they are transformed into the kind of people who choose to trust and obey him. Jacob's going to be a totally different dude at the end of his story than he is at the beginning. He's going to look totally different. He's going to be a a broken, transformed, repentant, humble, faithful man instead of a liar, a cheat, a thief, and a scoundrel. And you're going to read this story along with me, and we're going to look at it together, and you're going to see that God operates exactly the same way today as he did then because you do not become part of God's family by acting like a godly, pious person, doing godly, pious things, and hoping for God's blessing. Amen? That's not how we come in. It's when we recognize that we are sinners who deserve God's judgment instead of his blessing. Because God has chosen us and called us into relationship with himself. And God chooses and calls and uses all of the people that by the world standard would be voted uh, least likely to succeed in being godly. And by his grace... He chooses to do that so that his grace and his glory might be magnified. And he calls people like you and like me to the same purpose and to the same plan that he had for Isaac's family, the redemption of the world. It was through Isaac's family that the Messiah was born and the world was redeemed. And you are part of the family of God to whom the Messiah has already come and paid the penalty for your sin that you might be forgiven and transformed and made into a godly person. So as we wrap this up, I just want to, as we pray and as we close our service and worship, to celebrate the sovereign grace of God by which He accomplishes His great plans to redeem the world using people like you and me. Amen? Because I have a lot more in common with Jacob than I do with Jesus. And I have a theory that you do too. And the reality of it is, is that when we really understand that God chose us not because we were awesome, but because He is. And that thank you is our only appropriate response to being chosen and purified and forgiven and blessed by God. Then we have a lot to worship God for. So I want to close this out in worship. I'll pray. We'll have the worship team come and sing. And we will celebrate the sovereign grace of God by which we are chosen and saved and forgiven. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed for your sovereign grace, that in your sovereignty you chose to use crooked sticks to strike straight licks in the world and to bring about its redemption and forgiveness and transformation and renewal. Father, we do not understand how it is that a God who is perfectly holy can nevertheless associate himself with sinful people. But Father, we thank you that you have chosen to do so in your great plan, that you have brought redemption to us by the blood of the Son and new life to us and transformation by the power of the resurrection which raised Jesus from the dead. And Father, we thank you that in your great grace that you have done all these things 
that your glory and greatness might be magnified. And we pray, Father, today that as we worship you, uh, not just as we close here in worship, but as we worship you with our lives day to day, Father, we pray that your grace will be magnified by the transformation of people like us into your faithful and holy servants and children. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.